Welcome to Costly Conversations. We have a guest that I've been wanting to get on here for for a long time. Um, y'all might know him as the one and only Mochi or Devon Saint Thick or whatever whatever you know him as <laughs> um, from the Gram. Um, military guy. He's been in how long? You been in like eleven years? Uh, like coming up on eleven years, yes, sir. Golly. Currently deployed, so thank you so much for taking some of your some of your Sunday. We're recording on a Sunday um, to talk to me and to talk to the audience. Uh, what's going on, Mojo? man? What, what you doing today? Uh, we're out here just chilling, man. Sunday, like you said, lazy Sunday, trying to save money. So I, I haven't been doing anything at all, and just going into a, another work week, trying to get by so I can get home. Do it, bro. And um, currently, where are you? Where are you deployed? Can you say? Uh, we're in Eastern Europe supporting a NATO mission. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if anybody follows you on Instagram, they see you rolling around on the tanks or whatever it is you're riding on and mm. uh, just taking cool pictures and hanging out. So it seems yes, like it's quiet. That's what I do, man. <laughs> that's what I do. I'm in the position where I got other people to do the heavy work and I just can stand there and take pics and look cool. All right, boss. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, bro, where, where are you from? Like, where, where do you hang out when you're not like overseas? Uh, so originally, I was born and raised in Western Massachusetts, and then I enlisted in the Army while I was in high school, got stationed out in Washington, and spent four years out there, and then after I got off active duty, I decided to stay in Washington because uh, Massachusetts is just not the place for me, um, and then all pretty much all of my time, minus uh, a deployment overseas to Afghanistan, some contracting overseas, and then a year in Miami has been in Washington. There you go. Well, Washington seems like a cool place. People may not know this about me, and hopefully they don't judge me too harshly. I'm actually a pretty big uh, Seahawks fan. Hopefully they take it all Ooh. the way this year. I'm know. not a Seahawks fan, well, so. What, what you mean you're not a Seahawks fan? What? I'm a Chiefs fan. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> How long have you been a Chiefs fan? Uh, I've been a Chiefs fan since about 2004. So back when they sucked. Okay, um, so a real Chiefs fan, not just a. I'm a real Chiefs fan. fan yeah, no, because originally I was a t- uh, Tennessee Titans fan back when they had McNair and Eddie George and Steve Wycheck. And Eddie George is like one of my favorite running backs. But then that whole superstardom team disbanded, and trying to find replacement. And at the time, the Chiefs had Larry Johnson, number 27, and he had the same running style as Eddie George, so fell in love with them and then stayed a diehard fan even when they sucked. And then finally, we started getting better to where we went to the playoffs every year, but never finished. And then we got Pat Mahomes, my boy, first year, took us to the ship. That's all she wrote. Nice, nice. There's actually a whole lot of Patrick Mahomes fans around here just because I, I live in a Tyler, Texas, which is right next to White House, which is where he's mm-hmm. from. I went to somebody's mm-hmm. house the other day. They had a life-size cutout of Patrick Mahomes. The, guy, the, <laughs> the guy's wife said he couldn't go to the Super Bowl that year, so she got him a cutout, and people would actually come by the house and like take pictures with it. That's funny. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. No, I love it. I love it. Like, Just do you, man. Have, have a good time. Um, yeah, for sure. But let's let's jump into some stuff that's um, unfortunately relevant. I know overseas there's there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. going on, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's frustrating to hear just all the news and whatnot. Currently talking mm-hmm. about Afghanistan and the military pullout, um, the state of things, opinions, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Just curious to hear your thoughts and kind of the direction things have been going. Um, well, 
as always, there's always the disclaimer that anything I say is my views only and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the whole situation in Afghanistan, especially regarding the pullout, uh, definitely not the best. Um, and it's hard too, cause a lot of people like myself, a lot of my friends and family who have been there or spent a lot more time there than I have. Uh, we all have a lot of, uh, emotional and mental, um, whatever the word is invested there. Mm-hmm. So we care about what happens there. Right. And then just as like on one hand, I know that the war needs to end or our, our mission there needed to change and we needed to step away. Cause like at this point, what are we doing? But at the same time, we can't step away the way that we did because mm-hmm. you're leaving so much undone and leaving so many people behind. And that's not, that's not the right way. Right. And like, there's, there's like a lot of soldiers out there, like seeing how things are going down. And we're just like basically abandoning everything. We abandoning everything we did there. And they're feeling like at this point, like did what they did over there matter. So like their deployments or the people they lost or friends that got hurt, et cetera. And from there, at least from my beliefs is that uh it's it does matter because like for my deployment even though compared to others it was relatively safe i didn't like get shot at every day wasn't getting blown up every day like didn't lose a lot of people etc cetera, etc cetera. um we still did have a couple deaths we still did have a couple people get injured we still did get shot at a couple times but the like security the stability the peace we were able to bring to the region that we were operating in was still a very real thing and then so at our level what we did it it mattered and now mm. at the strategic level and then in the long term maybe that doesn't mean so much because now the taliban runs afghanistan essentially and the, the area that we in we were in may not necessarily have that security and stability and peace that we had it had when we were there but while we were on the ground we were able to do our mission and do it well so what we did mattered at the time mm. and that's all we can really hope for yeah yeah so it's, it's very unfortunate because a lot of I, I know this for a fact a lot of veterans are or people who serve there people who have had traumatic experiences there are in a very dark place even at even at this point mm-hmm. as we're speaking so it's it's mm-hmm. hard to see that the guys that you know we yeah. sent over there to do to do good things or I know there's going to be people here who uh, maybe feel like the military was there for um, impure motives as a top-down level, like, oh, we were there for oil or, oh, we were there for this mm-hmm. or that. Um, and I'm not asking you to comment on that at all, but I think it's, I think it's interesting to see, like, you know, even, even all that said and done, whatever, whatever reason we were there for, whatever was actually accomplished, there's very real people right here at home. Like, you don't even have to send your send your thoughts overseas. We have guys right here at home who are in a really dark place. You know, guys calling the yeah. support hotlines at, at record numbers because it's like, man, you lost your friends. You maybe lost limbs. Mm-hmm. You maybe lost your comfort. Mm-hmm. There's people who, who are in pain every single day because of, you know, yeah. what had to be done or what was done. And so it's, it's really hard to, to hear those things. And I'm speaking from somebody with very little experience because, you know, I didn't serve overseas or anything like that. Um, so, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, yeah, it is definitely tough. And like considering like how long we've been in Afghanistan. So Afghanistan 
as everybody knows, started the whole global war on terror. We were over there, uh, I think, as soon as October 2001, maybe less than a month after 9-11 happened. And uh, we had SF on the ground. We had CIA on the ground working with the Northern Alliance to start fighting the Taliban. And that's the problem with uh, why we were in Afghanistan for so long, right, is because when we first started the war in Afghanistan, the entire purpose of that war was to find, defeat, and eradicate al-Qaeda and and in turn this uh, Taliban who were giving them sanctuary in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole focus of the war. And we were shit hot at it. We were killing everybody and winning the war. And I think within a couple weeks, we basically had destroyed al-Qaeda, destroyed the Taliban, or forced them out of their places, and we were taking the fight to them, right? And we are doing that for a couple years. And then uh, the administration at the time decided to go into Iraq in 2003, and of course splitting the war into two different fronts and i'm not going to comment on why we went into iraq and all that stuff because i never went there so it's not for me to comment on but uh continuing to fight the war in afghanistan and then also fighting the war in iraq and then doing that for a couple years over any amount of time especially when it's not a conflict like world war one or world war two where the entire world is invested in it like yeah sure 9-11 happened and it was a shock to the American nation, and it really affected everybody. And they supported the war, let's go kill terrorists. But after that, 9-11 like, didn't happen again, right? It was just a singular event, and it wasn't a time on events like when the Nazis invaded Poland and then invaded the rest of Europe and were continually bombing the UK, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't something that was happening continually and continually. Mm-hmm. So now, after we've been in years for been in afghanistan for a couple years public perception for the war is starting to change and people aren't really wanting to support the war effort so when public when public perception change that drives policy changes so now that changes to we're no longer there to fight a war and kill the bad guys we're there to try and uh build up the nation and install democracy and make it a place where we won't have to come back to kill more bad guys if that makes sense right but the problem with that is we started doing that too soon because you can only realistically you should only be doing one or the other killing the bad guys or building up a nation you can't do both at the same time and because we didn't finish killing all the bad guys and finish fighting the war like we should have when we started trying to nation build we were doing it on shaky ground which then led to the problem we've been seeing with the corruption and the ANA and the ANP and basically the, sh- the government who folded in 11 days once we uh, once we withdrew and et cetera, et cetera. So it's just a whole bad deal. And again, it comes down to we've been there for 20 years. And on one hand, it's like at a certain point, you got to draw the line and call it quits, but you still because we've invested so much time there, we've made so many allies there and made so many promises there, we have to go about stepping away from that in the right way, not just turning the lights off in the middle of the night and taking an Uber back home. Right. Yeah. It was um it's definitely hard to hear. Just as a just on a human level, like, man, you see the the depictions of people tossing their babies over fences. Mm-hmm. You see 
um, people like basically like hiding out almost in like a, a makeshift bunker called an airport, just in the sun, mm-hmm. dying of heat. And um, yeah, then you see the subsequent attacks, which happened um, very, very recently in, in our memory mm-hmm. as of recording this and people dying um, and God rest their souls. And, you know, obviously our thoughts and our prayers are with the families of those who are lost and, of course, their friends and people who who knew them well. Um, and it's it's just so hurtful to see. It is so hurtful to see um, that. In our in our efforts, in our missteps, and this is me speaking, not necessarily you, in our missteps and our, our mistake, that people died, people who probably wouldn't have been in the region, might have been in Jordan or even here, but they got shifted or moved over to do a thing, and now they're gone. And yeah. they, of course, as you, as you might say, they knew the job, but yeah, it hurts. It's it's yeah, it's it's tough, no matter which way you look at it because yeah like i would say it's like when people join the military especially when they join into a combat arms profession they know the risks of the job they know they accept the risk and that they know that uh injury or death could come at a certain point within their career if they do it long enough or if the world just is the way it is and yeah a lot of those dudes that were on the ground especially the marines that were in uh hki or probably came from jordan another place where they got rerouted to help support the mission there um but it's still tough that they had to sacrifice their lives based on someone else's ineptitude and basically a shitty plan and like looking at the pictures of like Afghan civilians trying to climb over Constantino wire or hand their babies over a barricaded wall or clinging to the wheels of a C-17 as it takes off from the tarmac. And like for all our failures and flaws as a nation, knowing that almost everybody here has never experienced that type of fear or desperation where they have to be put in a position to do that. And knowing like, there's people that would literally gamble their life to hang to the bottom of a plane as it takes off rather than face the Taliban or what's behind them, et cetera, et cetera, is something that I think more people need to be cognizant of. And I'm sorry to say I don't think it's something that people are because I think a lot of people, even though we live in an age where information is at everybody's fingertips, people still exist within a bubble. Mm. They are hard pressed to be outside of that bubble because, mm-hmm. like you said, it's uncomfortable and it's sometimes it's not pretty. No, you're right. And I'm somebody. Somebody once upon a time said a thing to me, and I I wasn't sure how to take it, and I I kind of wanted to sit down in front of a camera and just dissect my thoughts, um, maybe share it, maybe not. They said America is the land of systematic opportunity, and I I thought that's so interesting to say because um, so many people will look you in the eye and. Maybe that maybe there's some truth to it and say, oh, America's a line of systematic racism or oppression or different things like that. And I know um, mm-hmm. as someone who served this country, maybe your mindset may be just a little bit different from the average Joe in the sense that you're working so hard to make this place better. Um, maybe while still acknowledging certain truths. That said, my, my thoughts are like, man, if you look around the world, I think there is some truth to the statement that America is the land of systematic opportunity. Like in, in what universe can we say that girls young and old have a chance to 
go get an education and get a job as a nuclear engineer somewhere. Mm. I mean, you can do that all over the world. However, there are places where if a girl even picks up a pencil, it's like, oh, take her outside and do whatever. Yeah. Not yeah. to not to make light of that that tragedy and that horror. Um, and, you know, we're like, man, like, in what world can you start at the very bottom as a, a young person who doesn't even speak English and become a millionaire? That's mm-hmm. crazy. And I'm sure you can do that in several places. But it's like, man, we do have a lot of these amazing opportunities. And it's really interesting to see that even with all of our problems, all of the, the blatant late racism and some of the subtle stuff with all of the um, name calling and, oh, they're guy from the Middle East comes here and he's working his job and he gets called a terrorist and every time something bad happens, you get the you get that flack. But that's still better than what's gonna happen under the rule of the Taliban. That's crazy yeah. to me. It is crazy. Yeah. Just the perspective, bro. Just the perspective. But of course we can still do things to make what where we live better. We shouldn't say, oh we're we're not the Taliban, so whatever happens, as long as it's better than the Taliban, we're good. Just, yeah. just a thing. And no, for sure. And that's goes back to what I was saying is like people exist out of their bubble and don't live a life where that other people have experience where they have that fear, their desperation. And so they're trying to escape the Taliban or cartels or what have you. So they're coming to America because as as much as us as American citizens who live here every day and experience the flaws, especially if you're a person of color or a minority or et cetera, and you experience like the worst parts of our society, we still as a nation represent a place of freedom and liberty and hope. And basically you come here, you're able to do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to be. And we still, that idea still exists to a lot of people outside of this country. And I think because that idea exists and that's the basis of our nation, we not only as a country, but as like individual citizens have an obligation and responsibility to try and uphold that for other people. Hmm. Do you have any, any thoughts or um, anything that you'd like to express to the audience regarding the situation in Afghanistan, maybe a way to frame it so people can think about it more clearly or maybe just your thoughts overall? Um. Uh, everybody's thoughts on Afghanistan are going to be different. Um, it's it's going to be split down between people who've been there and people who haven't. It's going to be people who served but not deployed and people who served and people who've been there. Um, all I can really say is just be supportive of your friends or family or whoever you know that has been there, um, especially if they lost people there. They could be going through a tough time. Just be open uh, for them. If they need to talk, just be there to listen, not necessarily respond, Mm -hmm. Uh, just give them a place to offload their thoughts and emotions. Uh, Don't judge them because everybody feels differently about their experience there and what's happening. Um, Yeah, just be a good person and be there for people. That's all you can really do at this point. Thanks, man. So let's uh, take a quick, uh, kind of like a commercial break, I suppose, and just talk about a few things. First of all, this episode of Costly Conversations is brought to you by me. Go ahead and like and, sub- <laughs> like and subscribe the video. We, we, you know, we're investing in uh, all sorts of equipment to just try to bring a better podcast experience. So, of course, if you can like the video uh, or like the podcast, share it out with people, continue to kind of help it grow so we can mm-hmm. um, 
so I can make some of this money back because I spent a whole lot of money trying to bring the best best possible experience. And hey, um, man, just just it, it's a passion. So really, it is. I'm, I feel I'm you. thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. But also uh, a fantastic way that people can support the podcast. Um, if you're into supporting the black community, support the black community. And of course, the the two way community is to shop with mm-hmm. Obsidian Training Group. Uh, they're one of the the few channel sponsors that you know I currently have, and I'm I'm super excited to be working with them because they provide quality gear. You don't have to worry about anything on their website. It's all top top shelf stuff. Um, all all the goon gear that you want, it's there. And um, <laughs> If you if you're out there doing hood rat stuff with you boys, go ahead and get you some of this stuff. Um, and of course, if you use the code Armed Atlas at checkout, you get a little bit of a discount. Every purchase goes back to helping the show. So obviously, I appreciate you guys. Support a black business. Support a small business. Support uh, local businesses. And of course, you can go online to um, ObsidianTrainingGroup.com and you can just take a look, see see what you like, share it with a friend. Sure. Um, and speaking of ways people can support people and do different stuff, I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, what you are doing for, for the mm-hmm. communities that you're involved in. I know you, you're involved in a couple of different nonprofits. I think you, think you might even, it may be under you. What, what, how, explain your nonprofit stuff, man. Okay, so the, the first one uh, I'll talk about, it's called Epsilon Outreach Foundation, uh, formerly known as Epsilon Northwest on Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at at sign epsilon underscore outreach. Um, basically what that what uh, that organization is about is providing uh, intelligent training and a community uh, feeling to the, the 2A community. So when a couple years ago, or like when COVID first started, right, I worked at a, a brick and mortar gun shop of a prominent retailer in the Pacific Northwest area. And before COVID started, our busiest day would be a Saturday. We'd see maybe on a really good day about thirty thousand in sales uh, for firearms, um, and that's that's just on a Saturday, the busiest day of the week. When COVID hit, we saw an almost four hundred percent increase in firearm sales. Um, so, like on a wow. Tuesday, which would be our slowest day of the week, we were seeing thirty thirty thousand plus in sales consistently every week. Like we couldn't sh- we couldn't keep anything in stock. And as far as who was buying those guns, it'd be not just like your typical people that you would think that would buy a gun, but it'd be people who lean far left to be minorities, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone was buying a gun because of civil unrest, uncertainty with COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now, what Epsilon's goal is to bridge the gap in training for those new farm owners because – Oh, buying a gun is your born right. You should be able to buy a gun, be able to defend yourself, et cetera, et cetera. But with the dangers that are inherent to having and owning a firearm, you also have an obligation as a firearm owner to be able to operate that safely and responsibly and have some training. But with that, there are a lot of places that offer fantastic training, but it also training can be a uh, – stepping stone that is not financially reachable for a lot of people, especially people who just save six, seven, eight months to buy a Glock for 600 bucks and buy some ammo and a holster, et cetera. And now they're tapped out and it took them that long just to get to that. Now Mm. they got to shell out another $500 for a class plus ammo, plus travel, plus lodging, et cetera, et cetera. That's not financially feasible for a lot of people. 
So what Epsilon Outreach's goal is to bridge that gap and provide free training, basic training, basic to intermediate training rather, to people who are new to the community, new to firearms, et cetera, and give them that baseline um, level of skills and competency. So that way they can continue to train on their own and be successful in training on their own. And then from there, we also want to facilitate and coordinate advanced training. So if people are looking to take uh, like long range classes or want to learn how to do structure assessment or room clearing, then we can point them in the right direction to search out those services from paid instructors, the people that we know in the industry, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So to be clear, this is a a free resource available to anyone or anyone, Okay. anyone. So we started in and not only, let me backtrack a little bit, not only do we do the free training, but we also do like community outreach or, uh, events. So we started with when we were still Epsilon Northwest. Our first event was August 2020, August 15th, 2020. And that was called the PNW PLUC. And basically what that was, was a potluck style event. Everybody was, it was free to attend come out, bring some food, grill burgers. We hosted a free to attend competition. All you had to do is bring your own farms, bring your own ammo. And then from there, we had a bunch of prize sets that went off to the fastest and second fastest uh, shooter for each stage, as well as um, fastest shooter overall, as well as we had a prize that we raffled off just to whoever. So anybody could win it. That's pretty cool. This was all free. Um, our raffle prize for last year was a complete 6.5 Creedmoor AR-10 that was built and provided to us by Rainier Arms. Um, and I'm talking Ultra Match Barrel, Geisley Trigger, like top of the line stuff. It's pretty sweet. Um, we, yeah, we gave away a couple uppers. We gave away some stuff from Leopold, Killer Innovations. Um, the list goes on. And that was last year. And they just and reached then, out to you guys or did you reach out or how did that happen? Uh, so we, we reached out on um, some of those relationships, are relationships that we created organically just from uh, shooting and teaching in the, in the community beforehand, before we came together to create Epsilon Northwest and then follow on with Epsilon Outreach. Um, I have a professional relationship with Rainy Arms because I used to work for them, so I was able to coordinate that. Um, but then continuing on from the PULUC, in October, we hosted a free-to-attend pistol class, and that had... 20 attendees if i'm not misremembering and then following in january we had a rifle class and then following i think in may we had a rifle and pistol class and then this past uh august we just had our second annual pew look and it was twice as big as last year twice as many prizes completely awesome yeah but in between so right now until uh right now epsilon outreach is while it is a legitimate nonprofit within Washington and we are pursuing our our 501c3 from the IRS, it's still something that we just do in the outside of our, our own time. So all of us still have families and real jobs that we have to put time into. So right now we can only really facilitate uh, qu- quarterly events like the big training events. Mm-hmm. But in between that, we do what we call is our facilitated range days. So it's just a time where people can come out and just hang out and shoot, meet other people from their area, whatever. Uh, we also do range cleanups because we shoot on a lot of public and private land as far as Department of Natural Resources, the Forest and Wildlife Service, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's unfortunately a lot of people out there who will shoot on those uh, 
those spaces, but dump like washers and just trash the place. Mm-hmm. And that's how those places get shut down and we're not able to use them anymore. So we clean that up. And then we also plan to start uh, hosting more intermediary training between our big quarterly events. So TCCC, comms classes, et cetera, et cetera. And again, all of this is free. Uh, basically, all you got to do is watch for when we announce the class, go on the website or through a third party uh, website if that's what we're using and then sign up. And then if you get in then you get in, you get details from there. Unfortunately, for the classes, we can only host uh, around 20 people because we like to have a one to three instructor student ratio. Make sure everyone gets good uh, observation, good knowledge and good feedback for the class instead of having like a class with like 30 dudes and one teacher. And basically, people are just paying to go to that class to say that they went to the class taught by this one dude, which is fine. If that's how you want to spend your money, that's great. And if you pick up stuff, that's awesome. But a lot of people don't really learn like in that environment. A lot of people really benefit from being able to have one-on-one time with an actual instructor and get that feedback and personal correction. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's Epsilon Outreach. Also. Yeah, that's that's Epsilon Outreach. Uh we're heading into our second year of operations. This is going to be our first year of operations as Epsilon Outreach. Um, we have a lot of big plans, and hopefully we can make them happen. Just like you, it takes a lot of investment, both time and monetarily, mm-hmm. on our part. Yeah. But it's something we're willing to do. Yeah. Um, so if you guys want to help out or just support us, go ahead and like and follow Epsilon Outreach on Instagram. Um, later on in the year or very soon we'll drop our website and then later on we hope to have a YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's Epsilon Outreach. My second nonprofit that I'm a part of is called Trail Therapy Off-Road. Um, and basically what that is is an organization that uses off-roading, the sport of off-roading, to provide a space for veterans to learn uh, life skills, a place to decompress, a place to be with other people, um, and basically just a place to unload yourself if needed. Because a lot of a lot of veterans, especially um, one of their biggest things is they when they leave the service, they miss that sense of camaraderie and unity that they have with the dudes who they served with, and that sense of shared suffering and brotherhood etc so trail therapy off-road aims to provide that albeit temporarily for people who have been missing that by using the sport of off-road um and yeah you can support us on instagram with trail therapy off-road and yeah we do big things we're trying to build a ultra four buggy to race in king of the hammers this year king of the hammers is one of the biggest off-roading events uh, on the West Coast. It's in Johnson Valley in California. And we were there last year. Um, and, yeah, it's just a, a great time. It sounds like but it. Those, yeah. Out there in the mud, getting it done. That's what's mm-hmm. up, man. And what, what inspired you to uh, – did you cook that one up yourself, or was it you and some friends, or how how'd that come about? So Epsilon Outreach um, started – with a bunch of my friends and I, we were uh, helping out with another person in the community in the Pacific Northwest uh, and providing uh, basically free classes at the time. And 
on a, a semi-consistent basis. And then from there, uh, me and four other friends figured that, well, we knew we had a passion for it. We knew we had the ability to apply our knowledge that we've learned and combine it into a cohesive product and a cohesive service. So we uh, decided to step away, form our own little group and try and just do that because again, having a firearm or owning a firearm and being able to carry one is a right that you're born with. But we also believe that everyone should have the ability to access training that can benefit them and not be restricted by their finances or distance or mm-hmm. et cetera. So we just wanted to bridge that gap, provide that service. Yeah. Um, and then as far as trail therapy off road, I'm the vice president for that. The president is a good buddy of mine, Kevin Herring. And I actually got introduced to him by my girlfriend, Bree. She set us together. We became good friends and I just supported the vision, loved the mission and always wanted to give back to veterans and be in a position to help facilitate recovery for veterans. And he offered me the position and I, I took it. So now that's where we are. There you go. That's awesome, man. Do you guys have any, uh, I know you said you guys are building up towards um, submitting a car or a buggy into an event. Do you guys have anything else coming up or how, how should people go about kind of like looking for events that you guys are doing? Um, so trail therapy has a, obviously has the Instagram. You can always reach out there mm-hmm. if you want to try and set something up or see what's going on next. Um, trail therapy also has a website where uh, it's updated regularly about what's plan and what's going on and what's happened already those are the two main places uh but yeah probably the instagram would be your best bet in trying to get updated information mm-hmm. and then for epsilon outreach the same thing just hop on the instagram see where we're at dm the page if needed or just turn post notifications on we usually uh drop announcements for classes and events a month in advance to give people time to like set that time aside and then we'll open signups usually two weeks in advance and secure signups that way. And then from there, um, once that's done, that's done, it's scheduled and it's in the books. That's awesome. I'm, I'm actually really curious. You said something earlier about, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who wouldn't be seen as like typical, uh, gun owners, Mm -hmm. you know, just people who are in the category of minority or people mm-hmm. who are more left-leaning or m- way further left-leaning. I've actually seen a lot of individuals who um, who are very much left-leaning who would affiliate themselves or associate themselves with like um, communist or socialist ideologies. Do you guys do you guys mm-hmm. get a lot of? I, I know that is a little bit more popular in that part of the states. Do you guys get a lot of that in in the training groups or um, people reaching out who are a part of? those groups or those, those thought groups. So, so I have to be careful on how I word this to make sure I don't alienate people or detract from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest thing about the two way community, right. Is the word community. Mm. Unfortunately, um, the community isn't always as representative of the society that makes it up as it should be. So, like, for instance, there's a lot of people that look like you and I who their only perception of the 2A community or gun culture is of some 
uh, redneck hillbilly dude and fucking wearing real tree and an orange safety vest, carrying a shotgun, and it's someone they wouldn't want to run into on a uh, trail in the woods late at night. Right. And that's unfortunately that's just the way it is. Yeah. So with community, what matters within the community is representation. So with that being said, there are political ideologies out there that personally uh, we may not support or agree with, but again, anyone is welcome to attend an Epsilon training event or class. Um, That being said, as long as your political ideologies or your actions don't endanger someone else through your actions or your words or don't uh, trample or, um, and I can't think of the word, uh, diminish, there mm-hmm. we go, diminish the rights of others, then we're not going to have a problem. But if, you, if you're showing up to learn how to employ farm, then that's the service we're providing. And we're not going to start like trying to screen our classes and everybody who signs up, we're going to ask them who they voted for, what their political leaning is, et cetera, et cetera, because... Again, that's not a community. And if we mm-hmm. want to have the actual community, then the community needs to have multiple people in it who look differently, who think differently, who speak differently, et cetera, et cetera. And then if we can all come together around firearms and the two-way way of life, then that's great. But if you show up to a training event and you're spouting off ideas that are either dangerous to others or you're trying to instigate conflict with others or you're what you're doing is um, a gross violation of other people's rights or a right to exist or etc then we will ask you to leave so it's a it's a fine balancing act that we have to maintain because again we're trying to create the actual idea of community which includes everyone not just dudes who are hardcore in the, into the tactical control culture or dudes who all present as your standard white dude or etc um but at the same time we have to make sure everybody is safe mm-hmm. so yeah it's a balancing yeah, act it, it is interesting because a lot of uh a lot of t- the time when you think about two-way and gun culture you're right you often think of the the hillbilly guy or even just like the tactical bro straight white male mm-hmm. etc um and it's like well not everybody who owns a firearm and needs to be safe with a firearm and actually learn how to use it effectively to defend their life and their liberty, looks like you, acts like you, talks like you, feels like you, um, has the same romantic leanings as you, X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. people are going to be different. Um, So I appreciate that you guys are open to to having people in there, especially because, you know, in the the past, in the recent past, we've had controversies um, such with... um, the recoil magazine and whatnot. And you actually mm-hmm. went in pretty, pretty seriously about that. Um, because in, in my opinion, the two A community, um, got, got way out of hand, acted out of pocket yeah. X, Y, and Z. Can we talk sure. on that just a little bit and just kind of how, yeah, for sure, man. how it went down. And of course your response to it. Um, yeah. So, uh, I forget the gentleman who was involved. Top shot. Chris. I forget his name. Yeah. Top, thank you. Top shot. Chris. But yeah, the issue was Recoil Magazine posted a picture of their soon-to-be-released uh, cover of their latest issue of their magazine, and it was Top Shot Chris wearing, I believe it was a, a shirt with a rainbow flag on it. 
as we all know, the rainbow flag uh, signifies the LGBTQ community, which obviously I have no problem with. But gender, judging from the comments that were um, abounding in Rico's Instagram post, that is something that is a huge problem to a lot of people. And people are like, oh, why well, you have this gay guy? You're pandering, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I took that – I took a lot of that personally. Um, one, just because it's wrong to think that way, uh, just for my beliefs and morals. But at the same time, is so many people are quick to um, – so many people are quick to talk about how the two-way community is under attack mm-hmm. and um, there's no support or anything like that. But then as soon as there's a guy who doesn't live the way that they live and doesn't look like them, even though he's more of an advocate and done has done more for the two-way community than they've ever done or probably ever will do, shows up, they're ready to, to attack him rather than uh, – voice their displeasure at the part of the B who are continuously passing or trying to pass policies or legislator that limits or reduces our rights. And it just, it'll make no damn sense, man. It's mm-hmm. out of pocket. And it's crazy. For, and for one, it's like, as a, a fact that I explained to a lot of people is representation matters. Cause I've had, a lot of people reach out to me as a black dude who's hardcore into the tactical community. I'm in the army. I shoot. I look cool and kit, et cetera, et cetera. I've had a lot of dudes who are black reach out to me and say I'm the reason that they got into the community because they saw that there's someone like me that looked like them that was in there instead mm-hmm. of just the regular straight white tactical bro dude. Which again, there's nothing wrong with being a straight no. white tactical bro dude because no, do it, bro. you can't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't help that you're born white or that you're dude or whatever. Mm-hmm. But again, when we're trying to build a community and have a community that represents all the people in society, people need to feel like they are represented by that community so that they can feel welcome in it, right. so that they'll join it. So, Top Shot Chris, gay Asian dude. Probably helped who's out a lot. Been on of, the magazine before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but yeah, he's a gay Asian dude. Probably having that gay Asian representation is probably helped a bunch of gay Asians within this nation be like, you know what? Maybe this is a place for me. Maybe this is a place where I can invest my time and put some effort towards being a part of, and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. Representation matters. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I definitely appreciate you breaking that down and sharing your thoughts on that. Just because it's like, man, it, that that situation was disturbing to me because it's like, man, listen, like, if we're so under attack, as you say, and like, why would you not want to have everybody possible, especially groups that are protected by um, the Democratic establishment and whatnot? Like, why would you not want people in, in your community that mm-hmm. have some political preference. I mean, that's, that's a completely okay. selfish way of thinking, but mm-hmm. be strategic. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Come on, get over here. Like we need you. We need, especially you. And, but of course, I mean, the, the bedrock and the backbone of the second amendment is to protect the people of this country. Um, and mm-hmm. to allow people to protect themselves. <laughs> Why would you not mm-hmm. want a group that is traditionally, um, under 
to be armed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you you can say whatever you want and have all your all your ideas and all these different things, but at the end of the day, people should be armed and be able to protect themselves. Whether, exactly. Because at the you're not going to be there with your you know kitted out AR and you know plates nope. at their front door if somebody <laughs> if somebody decides to commit a hate crime against them, whether you believe that exactly you know whatever you know it's let them let them be able to protect themselves and make sure that they feel comfortable in places where they can learn effectively and teach other people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way, the, anytime I see something like that, the way I see it is being like the two-way community is a wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And they stepped in a bear trap. The bear trap is legislation, policies, everything that's trying to take away or diminish or reduce or curtail our rights, right? And instead of attacking the trap or track it, attacking the foot that's actually stuck in the trap, you have Top Shot Chris. He's the other paw. The wolf was biting off the other paw. It's, it's not. It's all it's doing is hurting you. Yeah. You're not attacking the actual problem that matters. That's going to allow you to drive on and be successful and do whatever you want to do. You're just further handicapping yourself, and then you're still going to have the next the other problem, the real problem to deal with afterwards. Right. Yeah. And it's just it, it boggles my mind that people can't see that sometimes. No, it's, 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 it's wild. And, you know, I understand people are going to have their morals. People are going to have been grown up a certain way, but at the end of the day, if someone's not bothering you, why are you, why are you, why are you worried about it, man? Just chill. Exactly. Take care of your family, you like love people, especially to me, cause I'm, I'm a Christian guy, especially when Christians mm-hmm. are so vocal and attacking him and saying like really mean and perverted things in the comment section. Cause a lot of mm-hmm. that stuff was like straight up, like, Oh, that's gross. Why are you talking about the man in that way mm-hmm. that's sick yeah it, it hurts me it's especially like, to see that because i'm like bro aren't yeah. you supposed to love bro it's, it's like if you're not gay if you don't like gay people then don't be gay as simple as that problem solved live your <laughs> right. life right it that it man just end of the end of, end of the day love people love your family um if someone bothers you just leave them alone don't mess with them you don't have to you don't have to say every time someone offends you or bothers you um, that's, exactly. that's the, the very thing that we, um, in, in, in two way community in like a more conservative mindset, people get like, Oh, well, uh, every time someone, something offends you, you get triggered and you want to cancel stuff. Mm-hmm. Did that not just happen with the top shot? Chris, they wanted to cancel <laughs> recoil magazine. <laughs> yeah. Dumb. Okay. It's a mental gymnastics around here. Hypocrisy, man. I, I hate it and I love it, but bro, um, um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, something. It's, it's the elephant in the room. You're a black guy in the military, mm-hmm. um, yep. and I've I've talked about this a little bit before, and I'm curious to hear everybody's responses from you know veterans to active duty guys. So you're a black guy in the military, um, overseas, killing black and brown people. Um, mm-hmm. And just in the plainest language, not to be offensive or anything like that, um, people have a problem with that. Um, and how do you, how do you, I suppose, in your mind, um, how are you okay with being in a position with that? And of course, do you hear that much from when you when you're at home? Do you hear that much in your DMs? Did you hear that growing up when you were like, I want to go to the military? Did people say like, oh, you're going to go kill black and brown people? Muhammad Ali was famous for saying that the Viet Cong didn't do anything to him, that most of his problems came from the United States. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. 
Um, yeah, so my growing up, I've had a lot of experience with racism. And actually, my experiences with racism in high school are one of the main leading factors that drove me to enlist in the military and get out of my state. Because hmm. I went to uh, a vocational high school instead of the public high school down the road because I wanted to be an engineer at the time. And I was part of a very small minority of just minority people within the high school. And I think out of my class of 250-something, I was one of two or three black kids out of the entire class. Um, and then my freshman through maybe sophomore, beginning of junior year, I faced a lot of racism. And it's not like the the covert or subtle stuff that a lot of black people are used to. And then it's just like the way people look at you or interact with you or mm -hmm. talk with you, et cetera, et cetera. But this is like the overt stuff where like little miniature nooses be tossed at me as I walk to fucking – one of my buildings or whatever telling me um that my call me at n-word like just straight to my face or calling my mom an n-word lover and that she deserves to hang in a tree next to me etc cetera, etc cetera. Wow. like and for for a while i was a very angry kid and i fought a lot and because i couldn't control that emotion emotions and i couldn't comprehend that like this was the existence because even when i was growing up my mom would tell me this like for no other reason than like what the color of your skin is people are going to look at you and treat you differently and you might have to work twice as hard to get half as much as somebody else just because of the way you look yeah. and unfortunately that's a fact of life and my mom and my mom's white if that wasn't clear right. but um but yeah so i joined the military to try and get out of my state get away from that um and there wasn't so much a problem with race as a lot of people think in the military, at least from my experience. I mean, I did actually meet a dude uh, in basic training uh, who was from deep Texas, mm. like one of those little podunk towns that has like a hundred and something people. Right. And he's my age. He was 18. And just because where he was born and the life he lived, he had never seen a black person in his life. Wow. Not any of his fault. <laughs> yeah. Not any fault of his own, but like until he got to Fort Knox and in processed, he had never seen another, he had never seen a black person. And he like, luckily for us and for him, like he wasn't a racist dude. It just blew his mind. And he's just like, wow, I'd never seen one of you guys before. That's and he wasn't wild. a dick about it. Yeah, it was wild. And it brought us some hilarity over the next couple months as we trained together. Um, but yeah, there's never really, a problem for me uh racially being in the military i mean yeah the military still has his good old boys club and there's still dudes who you can tell that they will treat somebody else differently versus somebody else because of skin color etc cetera, etc cetera. but again unfortunately that's not really that's not really different than anywhere else in the world anywhere else in this country um and because it's our experience, obviously we know how to navigate it, and we just drive on and yeah. do what needs do what needs to be done. Um, but I will say that I never really thought about me going to Afghanistan or joining the military as me going to kill other brown or black people. Mm -hmm. um, because one, contrary to what a lot of people believe about the military, even though high-level policy makers and administration may have 
different strategic goals or obfuscate why we're in a certain region, like on the ground, military doesn't kill indiscriminately. So mm. if I killed someone, it was because they're trying to kill me. And that's just the name of the game. Now, removed from the fact of if I should be there in the first place, again, that's not my place to decide that. I enlisted to serve. I enlisted to volunteer my time and sacrifice my time in, in the support of something that I believe in. And uh, again, on my level, being in Afghanistan, that cause was to provide stability and security and peace to a certain region of Afghanistan. And that's what we did. Now, in the process of doing that, if it meant I had to kill someone who was brown-skinned because they tried to kill me because I was trying to do my job, then that's the name of the game. And people, I feel like people who... Um, think in such black and white as oh you join the military it's to kill brown and black people etc cetera, etc cetera. you're a, tr a race traitor or whatever you're just doing the white man's dirty work i feel like those people exist in a bubble that isn't connected to reality and mm -hmm. their moral high ground or their supposed moral high ground that they think they're on is based on nothing but assumptions or confirmation bias because of the way they live their life instead of an actual perception of the reality of the world and what other people are going through. But that's me. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's, that's interesting. Keep going. Uh, but then going back, I will say that my uh, service in the military as a black man is probably a lot different than what my grandfather went through in his service because uh, he was in Vietnam and he's actually high decorated Air Force veteran got a distinguished flying cross as a member of a B-52 uh, bomber crew doing sorties over North Vietnam um, and like they they there's a couple months out of like he ran sorties for maybe five years and there's a couple months out of the, each year where they were doing bombing missions every single day but again you gotta think about this is like 67 to 72 and sure this is on the tail end of the civil rights movement and right when culture and perceptions are starting to change and things are getting integrated and et cetera, et cetera. But the culture back then and society back then is vastly different than what it is now. Mm. And so I, I can't say that my experiences were the same as his experiences. And I would hazard a guess that they weren't in any shape or case or form. But again, because it's a life that unfortunately we're born into and we learn how to navigate it. We learn how to work through it and it doesn't come into our mind, at least for me, it doesn't come into mind with the, the fact that it's not fair that I have to work twice as hard to get half as much. Mm -hmm. For me, that's just the reality. I have to work twice as hard then cool. I'm going to work twice as hard because I'm not mm -hmm. going to let someone else's thoughts or emotions or feelings impact how I'm going to live my life or do what I want to do. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to, get where I want to get no matter what I want to do. Um, quick, quick question. Do you feel that yeah. um, you can maybe make, make the world a little bit better in the sense that you can provide uh, a way for people to not have to, people who look like you, people <coughs> who will come after you to not have mm -hmm. to work twice as hard for half as much. Maybe they still have to work twice as hard, but they can achieve the same or maybe their actions will be judged based on their merit and not, Oh, what you look like, what city are you from, 
uh, mm. how much how much you have, what who your parents are related to, rank mm. X, Y, and Z. Um, I would like to think so. I mean, again, considering the history of this country, despite the very real flaws and failures that black men or the black community rather and other minorities face in this country there still has never been a better time in this country to be a minority versus mm. the past um, and as optimistic as it may sound I do believe that that's only continued to get better just like it has been um, and now in the process of that doing what I can do to help that along, whether it's locally within my own community or it's on a bigger stage, whatever that may be. That's, I think that's something that we should all strive to. Mm-hmm. Now, if it happens, awesome. If it doesn't happen, I do what I can for the people I can affect. Yeah. Um, but I think just making the effort to is what counts. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I was talking to a guy called uh, Kevin Dixie from uh, Noah the Choice um, mm-hmm. And he was saying that, like, man, when you look at uh, America, America is such a young country, and we've made a lot of mistakes in our in our youngness compared to the rest of the world. And mm-hmm. even the black community within America is even a younger community, um, as in where we are now, like mm-hmm. slavery, and then of course when we found our freedom, and of course post civil rights and whatnot, we're still so young. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it's like, yeah, you said. Um, you know, black folks everywhere, um, regardless of class or background, we've made mistakes. And oftentimes when you make a mistake, it's amplified for the world to see. As in, you were the first mm-hmm. black man that, that that young guy from deep Texas had ever seen. And if you were a complete mm-hmm. um, bad person, you know, he might just assume all black people are just terrible. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's just kind of getting back to my point. Uh, I think it's really interesting that um, we are... So I guess new to this stage and the better you can Mm -hmm. do for the longer you can do it, um, just the better it is for everybody else because, and of course the generations that come after, because as we're kind of growing into ourselves and establishing ourselves as, as um, worthy of respect, you know, Mm -hmm. things that are inherent, like everybody should be Mm -hmm. respected um, until proven otherwise. But I, I think, I think it's just interesting to see, I guess, people's perspectives and of course, the fact that we are so young in this thing and uh, we can only go up from here. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. And it's and that whole thing of perception and trying to do better. It just, it extends to everybody too. Right. Cause mm-hmm. like, it's funny how you mentioned my homie and like how I was the first black, black dude he ever met. And if I was a complete piece of shit, then that would have skewed and influenced his perception of black people going forward. Mm-hmm. And then the black people after me would have to do even more work to alter that, et cetera, et cetera. Which then again, like hand in hand with uh, the black community and its perceptions is its perceptions in, in regards to law enforcement, right? Mm-hmm. We had George Floyd, we have everything else that's happened in the past couple of years, Rodney King in the 90s, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm all these things at the hands of law enforcement and I'll be the first to admit I've had some terrible experiences at the hands of law enforcement being searched without cause, being interrogated without cause, detained without cause, just being harassed without cause, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure that the majority, if not the vast majority of black people have had at least one similar instance within their life. 
and it sucks and it's terrible. But at the same time, I make the personal choice to attach that bad cause or bad experience to the person mm-hmm. and not the organization. Because again, I wouldn't want some white dude trying judging me for the actions of another black guy that treated him like shit or robbed him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then thinking I'm going to do the same because I'm not that person. Cause, and it's, and it's tough. And I've had this conversation slash argument a bunch of times, with a lot of people and, Again, some people say I'm biased, which may be true because I have a bunch of my friends who are law enforcement, both mm-hmm. locally, federally, statewide, et cetera, all over the country. And connecting, disregarding the fact that a lot of people who serve in the military end up, end up gravitating to law enforcement because that's just the natural progression of the skill set and uh, the type of person that beco- you become. Mm-hmm. All the people I know that serve in law enforcement are – all amazing people, stand-up people, people that I would trust and have trusted with my life and people that I know care about their communities and um, want to see their communities be better. Mm. But at the same time, that's not the experience for a lot of people and all that a lot of people have experienced is just terrible cops and terrible police presence. Mm. And yeah, just trying to do the work to undo all of that is important on both sides. Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting. And tonight, um, after we hang up here a couple hours from now, I'm going to be interviewing uh, a young woman from Minnesota. She's actually a current mm-hmm. officer. Um, and I've, I've mentioned her before, but she runs an organization, just started it. And maybe you can give her some tips on what it's like to run a nonprofit or a business that actually reaches out to people. Um, mm-hmm. But it's called Tactful Human. And mm-hmm. it's designed for um, to help police and community relations because as you said police presence is huge in certain communities and not even just oh white communities but you know nice affluent communities the police the presence there is going to be great unless somebody is not getting their way you know and it's going to be different but depending on where you live whether you're in a lower economic situation or you have more um, violence or crime um, that's showing up on the police radar um, or if you're in in an area where um, it's heavy minority combined with those things, the police presence can be uh, awful. Like I, I used to drop one of my friends off, and I, I don't I haven't lived in a bad area in, in some time. Um, but I was dropping off one of my friends into a neighborhood that's not so great. It's kind of like a housing project type place, and there was a police uh, SUV just sitting right next to the dumpster, just chilling, lights on, just waiting for something to pop off. Mm-hmm. Like how how nervous does that make a person coming home yeah. and oh there's the law right there, like and it's a it's it's tough because it's a perpetuating cycle because mm-hmm. like again talking about uh, communities that have a huge police presence right a lot of these communities are communities that have historically have fall lower on the social economic scale they have problems with poverty et cetera et cetera and for the black community. Poverty is what drives a lot of crime, especially oh, yeah. the petty crime that yeah. police have to deal with, where it's gang-related stuff, drug-related stuff, sex work-related stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Poverty drives all that because, yeah, it's it's easy for someone to say, it's like, oh, why you got to be a drug dealer? Just go get a job, et cetera, et cetera. People say that a and lot. It's easy. it's easy for people to say that when they have never had to experience 
that and then see or be a 14-year-old black kid who sees how easy it is to get money to provide for a family by selling a little bit of weed or crack or whatever because the guy down the street has got a big ass, a fat ass Dodge Charger or whatever versus going and working 40 hours at uh, Wendy's or whatever mm-hmm. and making barely any money to cover the bills when I can work a day a week flipping, flipping crack and cool, I paid the bills. So it's that poverty drives that and then because the poverty drives that and then you have all this crime or petty crime or whatever now the police presence is is enhanced to deal with that and then because the police presence is enhanced and it's cracks down and it's just a never ever never ending cycle Mm -hmm. and because these communities have been in the cycle for so long it's hard for them to get out of that cycle on both sides yeah it it is super interesting to me because you know reality is that when you when you look at the numbers, and I, I have to pull them up. I don't have them right here, but I'm spitballing off the top of my head. A lot of communities that are white or more affluent or whatever it is you want to call them um, have a similar, if not a greater, um, just overall percentage of drug use. And sometimes the drugs are considered uh, harder drugs. Um, talking about your cocaine and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, where are the cops there? You know, trying to pull people over and give them a good give them a good old strip search and see you know do you have anything yeah. serious on you i see your eyes are dilated uh, I, I smelled some weed in your car you know all the mm-hmm. all the fun fun stuff that you get asked when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time you have the wrong look um yeah and i, I man it's it's hard cuz it's like man i personally generally support police officers and their capacity doing the right thing treating people mm-hmm. with respect and keeping the streets from um being dangerous to the people who live there. You know, the grandma mm-hmm. who's been on the block for the last 40 years, that's her home. She got it from her mother and she kept it. She held on to it or she worked her whole life to have it. I, I pray that she can live in a nice area that she doesn't have to worry about them boys shooting at the block. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need that for granny. That yeah. said, it is hard to see, you know, just a. Uh, um, I work with a lot of kids who are considered inner city. It's hard to see um, when I see people getting pulled over, like a, tr- uh, a car full of young kids who are between the ages 16 mm-hmm. and 20 in videos. Mm-hmm. I see their faces when I see these kids get pulled over in videos and um, they get hassled and someone, you know, mm-hmm. bags are tossed in the car and it's like, what's going on? You know, just mm-hmm. referencing um, something that may or may not have happened. And it's, man, it's, like you said, it's it's hard to see it and you just you just hope that it can get better. You just hope that there's something that yeah. can improve. Woo! It's tough. It, it it is tough, man. It is tough. Um, last topic that I have, bro. Um, mm-hmm. How do you know Grantham, bro? Like, when did y'all meet? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so uh, Grantham or Mike, as we call him, is just. Oh wait, that's that his, was... his name is actually Mike. That's his name. He's yeah. not, his name is yeah, not his... Grantham. No. <laughs> Um, and he hates it when people that he knows actually call him Grand Thumb, yeah, well, which is funny. Um, but no, I had the good fortune to uh, meet Mike at uh, an event a couple years ago through some uh, mutual connections. And then from there, those mutual connections just turned into a friendship. And um, with the Epsilon outreach stuff, one of our members uh, actually built his range that he uses to shoot his nice. videos on. Um, or one of our officers, not members, rather. And, yeah, it just 
chance meeting um, between entities in the community and networking from there and then turning that into a friendship. And it's great. And that's the big thing about the community is – and that's the big thing about Epsilon Outreach is getting people out to meet other people in the community and forging these types of relationships because yeah. if I wasn't in the community, if I wasn't instructing, if I wasn't shooting and teaching and meeting all these different people – probably would have never met him probably wouldn't have the friendship that we do now which is great um and that's something we're trying to provide to everybody not necessarily to a huge well-known person like mike and sure. trying to pimp him out to everybody right. but just the the principle of it is trying to just build those connections and then one day those connections may lead to something awesome and yeah even that for people yeah and i mean just even even talking about myself for just a second, I had a really cool opportunity to um, go to the primary arms range day down in Houston uh, just a couple of days ago, back on Thursday, today, Sunday. And I got to run into so many like really cool, somewhat well-known and some extremely well-known people in the community, but also have a really good time just being in the presence of other shooters. Um, and that's, that's really cool. And I'm glad that... Um, you got a chance to link up with somebody who's, you know, kind of well-known in the community. But, of course, um, it sounds like you guys are actually pretty good friends. Like, at the end of the day, whether you're famous or not, that doesn't matter. There's like, are you cool? Sure. Are you a good person? Are you are you adding value to somebody's life? Um, no, for sure. I was, uh, I was more than pleasantly surprised to find out that Mike is actually a, a, a really good person in real life mm. and super humble, super down to earth and is down to be friends and hang out with anybody. Cause there's a lot of people who portray that on social media mm-hmm. that they're the, the every man or whatever, but then you meet them in real life and their fame and their following has gotten to their head and they're super arrogant and just think they're on a higher horse than everybody else. But it was awesome to see that Mike is not one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, He's another great thing about him is he's a huge supporter of Epsilon Outreach and yeah. has given us the space a couple of times on his channel to plug our organization, which of course helps us immensely because of the reach that he has and has. Yeah, I uh, think he did that in a recent video. I, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, he did that on his uh, recent video. Uh, he's did a a couple times beforehand and then some other videos. Um, so just for him being able to do that for us is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Just shout, a really good shout out to Mike, aka Grantham, uh, mm-hmm. aka Flannel Daddy, all all the other names, <laughs> all the other names. Yeah, I don't there's know. There's a lot so. of names. Don't troll. Don't don't troll the comment section. No, oh you see some gosh. gross names. Oh my gosh, bro! The comment section is out of control. Get in there and find out what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. No no partnership with Big Daddy Unlimited. Um, huge supporter of the channel. <laughs> No. I mean, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. No, um, definitely. There's actually a, a range event that they have coming up. Hopefully, I can get on their guest list to, to come in and, or their, their influencer mm-hmm. list or whatever. That would be really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, all in due time. That said, bro, um, is there anything else that we wanted to cover before we head out of here? Um, I think we, we touched, touched on some, some good stuff. Some of it heavy, some of it a little light. Yeah, you know, that's good, good variety. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, just I was thinking about uh, when you were talking about Mike. Oh man, I think it's I think it's really interesting that just you as as a black man um, mm-hmm. interacting with different people in the space. I, it doesn't uh, it doesn't look like you really put limits on who you can be friends with. Um, no. 
not based on you know where people are from or things like that. I, and I think that's I think that's really cool because sometimes in the in the two A space and sometimes the black two A space, I think there's some awkwardness that can kind of be come about. It's like oh man, um, most definitely. Well, I, I I can only hang out with these people. I can only talk to these people. Um, mm-hmm. And the other people are aren't they're not going to accept me. They're not going to uh, love me for me. So I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's really cool that you got to forge relationships with people that don't even look like you, bro, and they yeah. accept you either way. That's the that's the whole goal, man. It's like, yeah, that's the whole goal is just to create that space where anybody can feel included, feel welcome, and have that space to come get safe and responsible training because. Not everybody's going to look like me. Not everybody's going to look like my homies. People are going to have different sexual orientations or sexual beliefs or religious beliefs or um, uh, different genders, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all well and good because for me personally, as long as what you're doing isn't hurting anybody or getting in the way of anybody else living their life, Mm -hmm. I don't care what you do because America – is supposed to be a place of freedom and liberty and choice and that's the ideal that we tell tell ourselves that we represent and for me freedom and liberty and choice comes down to any and everything that could be in your life now granted there are social norms that are in place that i think anybody would agree with are you shouldn't make the choice to do so like if you try go make the choice to go rob someone well you're forfeiting the social norm so therefore the consequences of what happened to you that's on your own head and it's not anybody else's responsibility to deter you from those consequences because yeah. you made that choice but if you were born a dude and you after living life feel like you're a girl that's your choice it's not my not my place or decision or whatever to tell you how to how you should see yourself I'm not going to treat you any differently as long as you don't treat anybody else differently, Hmm. if that makes sense. I think that's I think that's an important point, because unfortunately, I think that the anger and the frustration that can kind of come with choosing like unconventional lifestyles or Mm -hmm. or living out those things is, you know, people will treat you badly. And then in turn, as soon as somebody um, maybe has the air about them that maybe they might treat you badly. You just kind of jump on their throat um, mm-hmm. and you become defensive. And oftentimes you start in attack mode. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think there's obviously that's a reality for a lot of people is they, they kind of have to live in defense a lot, but yeah. treating, and, and tre- treating people with respect is huge, regardless of what side of the, the coin you're on in regards to being a victim or being a victor or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Like you said, a lot of people live in defense a lot. Like I've had to do it. I'm sure you had to do it. Mm-hmm. But and it's a survival tactic because it keeps you from being attacked. It keeps you from investing emotional and mental energy into things that can get turned around on you. But again, I, at least for me in my life, I figured out that's not a way that I want to live because it more often than not led to confrontation when there wasn't any to be in the first place Mm. so i don't treat anybody uh the wrong way until they treat me the wrong way first and maybe naive or whatever that some people may say but 
I am a big believer in courtesy given is courtesy received. So mm. I give people the courtesy and the respect of being a decent human being until they show me otherwise. And if you show me otherwise, cool. I'll drive on with my day and I won't deal with you. But Courtesy given is courtesy received. I like mm-hmm. it. That's what's up, man. Bro, how can people find you, man? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at at sign mochi that's m-o-c-h-i underscore actual um i'm basically big on instagram uh, i don't really accept new people on my facebook but yeah so i won't even talk about my facebook just hit me up on instagram yeah i didn't Instagram's know you had one <laughs> <laughs> just hit me up on just hit me up on instagram and what the freak is a mochi what what in the world i had a guy who's like oh the asian guy I'm like no 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 no, no. He's like, oh. uh so mochi is a natural uh occurring derivative slash evolution of my original nickname so for the longest time going back to high school uh through coming up in the army my nickname was mocha because of my finely colored skin which is fine um but then it uh, evolved into mochi because of my affinity for snacks especially uh japanese mochi which is basically uh, a rice ball filled with mm-hmm. um, soft serve. Mm-hmm. They're super tasty. Whole mm-hmm. Foods has some of the best ones. I personally love the strawberry and the mango. Um, but yeah, and then people started calling me Mochi, and then now everybody calls me Mochi. Mochi actual. There you go. Mochi actual. It's it's funny. Uh, your 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 lady is hilarious. She'll post like different memes and stuff <laughs> talking about like yeah. I think the one from like today or yesterday was like thinking Mochi actually loves me, and then. <laughs> Oh yeah, then it's our it's our dog. It's like, yeah, y'all y'all are hilarious. I I really enjoy you guys. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Just quick reminder to everybody listening: if you haven't liked the video up in this up up until this point, go ahead and hit like, share it out with some people, post it on the gram, let people know what we're doing. We're having a good time, and I hope you guys like the video. Like the video. (laughs) Do it. Do Do it. it. Yeah, no. Thanks for having me, man. I'm sorry it took a a little bit to get the schedule. You know, that's cool. Bro. Being being different countries, different time zones can be a hassle, but I'm, I'm glad man. we I'm glad we got it nailed down. You said the uh, eastern northwest is is that what you said? The eastern front, uh, the east eastern Europe. Yes, sir. Eastern Europe fighting fighting the Russians or something like that. Hope, hopefully not, dude. Fuck that. <laughs> he said no. <laughs> not today, suck. Satan. <laughs> No, sir. <laughs> Not interested. Nah, it's cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on, guys. And of course, y'all keep it costly. Mm.